the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Blackquote.com slash commercial. The following program is sponsored True Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. This is a glorious message, a magnificent gospel. And when that grips you and you grip it, then you're unashamed of it. How do we suffer? The Spirit of God reinforces and strengthens us to do so. And why do we suffer? Because this is a message worth suffering for. Early church father Tertullian once said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And today on Know the Truth, pastor and Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy challenges our understanding of persecution and suffering. He's calling us to discover a mission worth living for and a truth worth dying for. Today's message is called Keeping the Faith, and it's part of our Without Apology study in 2 Timothy. You'll find all the messages online at ktt.org. Now, here's Philip DeCourcy. My friend Mark Hitchcock, who pastors a church in Oklahoma and teaches at Dallas Seminary, recounts the story of a young Christian who decided to break the ice in terms of his witness for Christ on the campus of his school. And so he plucked up his courage, and one particular day he found a spot on the campus and he began to preach the gospel. Words came slowly. He stammered his way through the first few minutes of his gospel presentation until he was interrupted by a hackler who shouted out to him, you ought to be ashamed of yourself standing there making a fool of yourself like that. The young man replied, you know what? You're right. I am ashamed of myself, but I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need an unashamed church in a shameless society. And that's what we have in the passage before us here as Paul writes his legacy letter to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy, and he urges him to be faithful in his commitment to the gospel. In fact, the key to this passage is the word unashamed. You'll find it in verse 8, you'll find it in verse 12, and you'll find it in verse 16. The point of this section of the letter is to urge Timothy to fully commit himself to the gospel, to keep the faith, to be unashamed of his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, his message, and his messengers. Now, you'll remember from an earlier study that Timothy had a tendency to timidity. That's why Paul will write and encourage him in verse 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, while there's no evidence in the letter that Timothy has given in to fear, it's a potential, it's a temptation, it's a trap. And so Paul writes to encourage him not to become unnerved 
not unnerved by Paul's own situation in that gospel preaching can lead you to imprisonment, not unnerved by the cold winds that are blowing across the culture and the presence of heretics within the church at Asia. Timothy is being urged here to remain resolved in his commitment to the gospel, to be unashamed. And so we have come to look at this passage, and there's three things that come out of the text. Gospel commitment involves suffering. Verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. Gospel commitment is a matter of suffering. Gospel commitment is a matter of safeguarding. Look at verse 14. That good thing, that's the treasure of the gospel. That's the body of truth that is indeed the message of Jesus Christ. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Timothy, if you're unashamed, it will show itself in suffering. If you're unashamed, it will show itself in safeguarding. And if you're unashamed, it will show itself in supporting. Verse 16, Paul makes known his gratitude to this servant Onesiphorus who had refreshed him often and was unashamed of his chains, his imprisonment. So gospel commitment involves those three things. So let's jump back in. Number one, it's a matter of suffering. That's verses 8 through 12. We reminded ourselves that nobody gets to heaven unscathed and unscarred. Theologians talk about the church triumphant. That's the church in heaven that has been saved to sin no more. But there's the church militant. That's the church on earth. That's the church that must stand in the evil day. That's the church, you and me, who must put on the full armor of God. We cannot get to heaven unscarred or unscathed. We must indeed make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. We must not be embarrassed by him, his testimony, or those who preach that message. And suffering will come. Suffering, not shame, ought to be the mark of the Christian. That's why Paul says to Timothy in verse 8, Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. If a man will live a godly life, he will face persecution. It's through much affliction that we enter the kingdom of God. And so we reminded ourselves of that fact, and we started to look at ways in which you and I can be encouraged to stand. What are the things that will help us suffer gladly for the Lord Jesus Christ? To, like the early apostles, rejoice that we suffer for him, that he has counted us worthy for that assignment. Now, there were four things. We only looked at one of them. There was a certain companionship. That's verses 8 and 14. Paul encourages Timothy to suffer. And in his own example, we find several things that will reinforce our resolve to suffer. And one of those is a certain companionship. Look at verse 8. It begins with, therefore. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. That connects us to the preceding verse where we're told that God has not given us a spirit of fear. In fact, if we read on into verse 8, we'll read that we are to suffer for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, if you read down to verse 14, that power surely comes through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to rehash that thought, but let me just say this. The Christian is equal to what is going on around him because the God above him lives within him to strengthen him for service. That's Paul's argument. 
Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of cowardice. Timothy, minister according to the power of God. That power is available to you because God's presence has been universalized in the gift of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in the life of those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. I love that thought. The Christian is equal to whatever is going on around them because the God above them lives within them through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Adrian Rogers, the great Southern Baptist preacher, used to say that when Christians realize that they're inhabited, they'll be less inhibited. And so there's a certain companionship that helps us to suffer. Secondly, and here's where we really pick up from where we left off, there's secondly a certain creed. There's a certain creed that helps us to suffer. Because having called Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel, Paul now outlines and defines the glorious nature of the gospel itself. Having mentioned the need to suffer for the gospel, verse 8, look at how we begin in verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with the holy calling? And Paul goes on to outline the sheer magnificence of the gospel. And when you understand how great and glorious the gospel is, that in itself allows you to remain committed. How do we suffer? By the power of God. Why do we suffer? Because the gospel is worth it. Gordon Fee in his commentary on 2 Timothy tells us that what we have in these verses 9 and 10 is probably a semi-credal formulation of the gospel. It's brief, it's incomplete, but it is a solid expression of the grand and glorious nature of the gospel. We don't have really time to unpack this, but if you were to take some time to study it, Paul talks about the source of our salvation. It's God's sovereign grace. Look, he has saved us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Do you realize that God chose you before you chose him? Spurgeon said that he was glad that God loved him before he was born, because God wouldn't have loved him after he was born. Here we have God's sovereign, electing, gracious purpose to draw you and me in time because he has chosen us before time. And Paul says, don't get over that, Timothy. That's at the heart of the gospel. That's why you suffer for the gospel and you suffer for the elect's sake like I do. Because the source of our salvation is God's sovereign grace and the scope of it is eternal it begins before time began, and it will lead to immortality and eternal joy. Its significance is that in his death, Jesus abolished death, and life reigns once again on planet earth, verse 10. But now that grace has been revealed that was indeed concocted before time began, and it has revealed itself in the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Love that word, abolished. It's a term that means to disarm, to neutralize. Jesus Christ has disarmed death. He has neutralized it into the sense that it no longer holds us in bondage, as we read about in Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. This is a glorious gospel. This is a wonderful gospel. How do we suffer? 
because the Spirit of God reinforces and strengthens us to do so. And why do we suffer? Because this is a message worth suffering for. This is a glorious message, a magnificent gospel. And when that grips you and you grip it, then you're unashamed of it. There's nothing to be ashamed of it as it's a one-of-a-kind gospel. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. There's nothing better than this gospel. Read the book of Hebrews, one of the writer's favorite words, better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus' priesthood is better than Melchizedek's. Jesus' sacrifice, better than anything offered in the temple and the tabernacle. Jesus' covenant, better. In fact, if you go to Paul's first letter, chapter 1 and verse 11, look at how he describes the gospel and his own salvation. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. You know, Hebrews 2, 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Guys, study the gospel. Don't lose your wonder over the gospel. Understand its magnificence that God chose us in Christ before time began. Then the Father sent the Son who appeared, who disarmed death in his own death, and resurrection, and paid for our sins, and has called us to life and to immortality. That's glorious. Shame on us if we are ever ashamed of it. That's Paul's point here. There's a creed. There's a theology. There's an emerging doctrine here of salvation in verses 9 and 10 that just would remind Paul, this is worth suffering for. This is a glorious gospel unparalleled. Shame on us if we ever ashamed of it. I've told you the story, I think, on a former occasion, but I repeat it here, how C.H. Spurgeon arrived late one day to preach for his grandfather, who was himself a minister. And the grandfather thought he'd have to pull one out of the hat. And as he was preparing himself to just get to the pulpit, the doors at the back of the auditorium open, and young Spurgeon comes waltzing in. And his grandfather's up in the pulpit, and a Spurgeon comes walking down through the pews and the people. He says, well, here's Charles. Charles can preach the gospel better than me, but he can't preach a better gospel. Amen. You can't preach a better gospel. There is no better gospel. Maybe better preachers, but there's no better gospel to preach. It's magnificent. It's glorious. And Paul says to his young friend and minister, Timothy, I want you to grip this, and I want you to be gripped by it. Because this is a gospel that we should not be ashamed of. This is a gospel that allows a man to face death without fear. Why do you think Paul says here in verse 10, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel? Because he's probably weeks or months away from his own demise. And he'll tell us in chapter 4, he's ready to depart. With the flash of a sword and the severing of his head, it'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. How's he sticking it out there in Rome as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he believes the gospel's worthy. And that gospel has disarmed the fear of death in the life of Paul. Read his writings, by the way. Paul never feared death. He feared a wasted life. He feared going to the judgment seat of Christ with ashes in his hand. 
And so Paul dies at peace because the gospel breeds confidence and the gospel steals the soul. I like the story that B.B. Warfield, the great Princeton theologian, tells of a Christian man who was traveling through the West during the days of the pioneers, and he got caught up in a gunfight. Bullets were flying everywhere. There was uproar in the town. And as he ducked down himself, he noticed a man who seemed rather calm and confident in the melee. And he said to himself, now there is a man who knows his theology. And when the gunfire died down, he went up to the man. And without saying a word, he said, sir, what is the first question in the shorter catechism? And the man replied, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. He was a man who knew his theology. And when you know your creed, when you know your theology, when you know your doctrine, you can handle the bullets flying and life taking a twist for the worst. So there's a certain companionship here. There's a certain creed here. Thirdly, there's a certain calling here that enables Paul to indeed suffer valiantly. And now Timothy must do the same. Let's move on through the text. Look at verse 11. To which, speaking about this gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Having just spoken about the gospel, Paul now reflects on his relationship to the gospel. He's a preacher and a teacher of it. There's an element of Paul's willingness to suffer for the gospel here in a deep sense of duty and obligation rooted in God's call to the ministry. Here's another element of bearing up under suffering. You've got the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've got a magnificent gospel to believe in and to suffer for. And then you've got this sense of duty. God called you to preach it. God called you to teach it. God called you to be an apostle, a sent one out into the world. And that might land you in trouble and difficult situations. See, Paul has already taught about the call to salvation. Look at verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. God has called us irresistibly to himself by his grace and his sovereign mercy. That's the call to salvation. But there comes with it and after it a call to service. And Paul soon learned after his own conversion that God had appointed him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and he would suffer much wherever he went. But Paul embraced that because he was a man on a mission. He was undeterred and undaunted in the face of opposition because he understood that he had been made by sovereign grace a minister of the gospel. That's why C.H. Spurgeon says, when God calls you to the ministry, don't stoop to be a king, because this is a high and a holy calling. And Paul revels in that as he kind of encourages his young minister in the gospel and gives him reasons to be unashamed and to be faithful. Here's one of them. Because like me, Timothy, you have been appointed to be a preacher of the gospel. And there's nothing bigger and there's nothing better. This is a non-negotiable task. This is a noble task. This is a necessary task. I'd like to get into those thoughts, but I can't 
It is a non-negotiable in the sense, Acts 26, verse 19, having related to King Agrippa, his conversion and his call to the ministry to preach the gospel that has landed him in trouble and has indeed pushed him into the presence of King Agrippa. What does Paul say about all of that? He says, but I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I mean, this, this thing was foisted on me. I'm not a minister of the gospel by human exertion. I'm a minister of the gospel by divine appointment. This is a non-negotiable task for me, and it's a noble task. In fact, when we get to 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul will describe the ministry as something noble, something excellent, something great, because this is non-negotiable. It's noble, and it's necessary. In 1 Corinthians nine sixteen to 17, he said that, you know, necessity was laid on me, and woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm in trouble if I don't preach the gospel. One, because if I don't preach the gospel, people get lost and damned. And if I don't preach the gospel, then I'm not living up to what my purpose in life is. So here's the point. Paul was unashamed in the light of the glory and magnificence of his calling. Paul had a high view of the ministry that helped him overcome his challenges and stay above the fray. And the point is this. A man with a calling from God is a force to be reckoned with. He's an unstoppable figure. You want evidence? Go back to the Old Testament, just one, Jeremiah, whom God called, God sent, and God said, don't be afraid when you stand before the nations, because I'll be with you. Or you go to the New Testament, I'll give you one example. John the Baptist, who was fearless. In fact, he lost his head for the cause of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1 of John's gospel, what do we read of him? There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. See, when a man has a sense of calling, he's an unstoppable force. I was at the pre-trib conference in Dallas this past week, and we honored the life of Tim LaHaye, who started the pre-trib conference some 25 years ago. And a young man, Giverit, had indeed studied under Tim LaHaye. And he said, you know, I always remember Tim LaHaye saying to us as young men, don't look for a career, look for a calling. Paul had a calling. And when a man has a calling beyond his career, he's an unstoppable force. And it roots his life and it gives him confidence. It gives him purpose. And he's hard to turn away. And that's going on in Paul's life. That's why W.A. Criswell, pastor at First Baptist Dallas many years ago, the first and foremost of all the inward strengths of a pastor is the conviction deep as life itself that God has called him to the ministry. No man will survive the ministry without a call. And it's hard to stop a man in the ministry who senses a call. I'm appointed an apostle and a preacher and a teacher. And God has a call on your life as well. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's message called Keeping the Faith. It's part of a study Philip delivered at a series of men's breakfasts, and it's titled Without Apology. You can find free downloads of individual messages or purchase the complete series on CD when you visit ktt.org. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to help you grow closer to God through the rigorous and daily study of His Word. We are obeying Jesus' command to make disciples, and we're grateful to share this mission with you. It's the support of listeners like you that makes this Bible teaching ministry possible. So link arms with us when you give. Please call 888-644-8811 or donate online at ktt.org. While you're on our website, be sure to visit our Great Cities Initiative page to learn how your generous support is helping to send the gospel of Jesus Christ across America. 
In addition to these daily broadcasts, we also put a lot of time and prayer into finding relevant resources to complement our studies. And when you give today, we'd love to send you a copy of Steve Farrar's visionary book titled Anchorman, sharing biblical keys for anchoring your family in Christ for the next 100 years. A man who gets serious about following God with his whole heart brings blessings on everyone around him, on his children and his children's children. Request Anchorman for your husband or a special father in your life when you give online at ktt.org. Or speak to one of our friendly volunteers when you call 888-644-8811. You can also request Anchorman when you send your donation by mail. Write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow as Philip DeCourcy continues to share the spiritual keys for keeping the faith. That's coming up Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, and like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Call 800-517-3636 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WAVA. That's 800-516-3636 or go to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WAVA, 800-517-3636. And now, three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.